with me in prayer as we come to God's Word. Father, I want to thank you that you're a God who has spoken and created the whole universe. You're a God who has spoken in history. You're a God who has spoken through your Son, the Word made flesh. And so, Father, thank you that you've condescended to where we are, that we may know you. We'll begin to know you. Lord, we freely confess that you are far more glorious than our minds can handle. And yet, Lord, we long to know you better. So would you speak to us now that your Holy Spirit would take up your word and drive it deep into all of our hearts, illuminate our minds, change our wills, fill us with the joy and the hope of what is yet to come through the completed cross work of Christ. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Well, one of the great aspects of Christmas, and it is feeling Christmassy, don't you think? I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a little tree here. Who'd have thought those columns could have got blingier? But we've got ferns going up. It's very exciting, very exciting. It's getting a bit more Christmassy, and one of the great aspects of Christmas for me is, you know, it used to be about the presents, but now it really is about the meal. I just love a great Christmas lunch. The men had a fantastic Christmas lunch on Friday. It was great. We've already got one in early. The men already ahead of the case. You can see how much men love their food. It was barely December and we had our Christmas lunch. But a lot of extra effort goes in, doesn't it? I see that there's a repeat of Delia. Delia's giving us all her top tips for a top Christmas coming on TV. Extra effort goes in, the nicest cuts of meat. You can spend extravagant sums of money with Marks and Spencers. I goodness knows what they do to their turkeys to charge that much, but extraordinary. You can most the tastiest, delicious foods and, uh, and, and, and the nicest drinks and all the stuffings, all the sauces, all the trimmings. Oh, is your salivary glands really starting to go? I don't know. And even if you're, not, you're on a diet, you, you, you say to yourself on that day, well, it's a special day. I'm going to loosen my belt. Let's just enjoy it. Let's have some extra. And I want to suggest to you that Christians have every reason to especially enjoy all of this. Because throughout the Bible, feasting language is linked to fellowship with God. On Sinai, after the covenant is made through Moses and blood is applied, he and the elders go up the mountain to have a covenant meal with God. They see God and they eat a meal together. In the book of Isaiah, we, we've been reading how the great promise of, of a day coming when after God has dealt with the problem of sin through his suffering servant, there is going to be a covenant feast of celebration and joy. There's going to be a day when death will be no more. And it'll be a day celebrated with the richest of, of foods and the finest wines on the mountain of the Lord's. And so it's no surprise, is it, that on the, on the night before the crucifixion of Jesus, he gathers his disciples together for a special covenant meal. And he says to them, look, uh, this bread that I break, it's a picture to you of, of my body that will be broken tomorrow, this this." This wine poured out is a picture of my blood that will be shed for you. It's going to be this new covenant. His sacrifice buys this 
amazing new covenant relationship that will end in a transformed world. And, and, and it's a great picture of feasting and joy. God is not a killjoy. God offers the, the best feasts, the best parties. The first sign that uh, John tells us about in his gospel is how after all the wine had run out at a wedding feast, Jesus miraculously creates another 600 liters of the best wine so they can continue the celebration. And we began to explore last week how God has invited everyone to come to this soul-satisfying feast. And so please open your Bibles again to Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to have a second chew on this great chapter. Isaiah chapter 55, and you'll find this on page 743 in the church Bibles. Page 743. Oh, I mistyped on the PowerPoint. There we are. Isaiah 55. Let's read the whole chapter. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good, and you will find del and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not. And nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it out. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown 
for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is God's word. Did you hear it? In his amazing grace, this invitation is still open to all who've heard it today. God is inviting you to come to him. We need water for life. Milk nourishes us. Wine is the drink for celebration and gladness. And so here is an invitation from God to satisfy our souls. Well, what God is offering here really is, is nothing less than forgiveness and eternal life. And now is the time, verse 6. Now is the time to seek the Lord while he may be found. Now is the time to call on him while he's near. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God and he will freely pardon. But why do so few respond? Why do so many walk past this church and never think of coming in. I chatted to one man walking past this way. He said, I'm going to punch the minister on the nose. And he kept walking. He didn't punch me, thankfully. I pointed to one of the older guys. That's the minister. <laughs> I, 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 another, another couple walked along and I said, why, why, don't you, why don't you come in this morning? Oh, no, we're, we're going shopping. We're going to worship other things. Well, there's the truth of it. Why, why do so few respond to the invitation to, to come to church? Why do so, few refuse, so many refuse the, the good news paper as it goes out? Why do, why do friends come and hear the gospel and yet not respond? Well, the answer is because they, they don't think that they need what is offered. What the Bible says seems strange to people. It's so different to how they see life. Our society encourages us to have a, a, a pretty positive view of ourselves and actually a very low view of God. People are not particularly worried about whether God is there or not. It's not something that most people think about. If there was some sort of moral ladder... And at the lowest point uh, on that ladder would be the worst sort of people you could imagine. I don't know, dictators who've killed millions like Joe Stalin or Adolf Hitler or maybe serial killers or maybe uh, adults who sexually abuse children. They're on the lowest rung. And at the top of the ladder, we, we, we have the most moral people we can think of. I, I don't know who you'd put there. I was actually scratching my head to work out who on earth we would say in a contemporary way. Uh, is, is it Bill and Melinda Gates who've kind of given away $27 billion to charitable causes? Is it, is it the Queen? I don't know. Who would you put at the top of that moral ladder? I was really struggling to think who our society holds up as being moral, ethical people. But what would be really interesting is if we had such a ladder, would, to, uh, would be to ask people, well, where would you put yourselves? Where do you think most people would put themselves on that ladder? My guess is that most people would not put themselves in the lower half. But maybe somewhere above the middle, maybe. Uh, maybe they're just too, you know, aware not to say I'm at the top. But, you know, maybe not too many rungs down from there. 
My guess is that your average person in Edinburgh, if they ever thought about what is said in church, they probably think it's a message about being nice. God is nice, you're nice, be nice. Well, they're already nice without religion, thank you very much, so what's the point? But of course, that is not what the Bible teaches. We must not miss the urgency of verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Why is that verse 7? Because the wicked need to forsake their ways and the unrighteous, their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. We must seek the Lord. We need mercy and pardon. We must turn to him and call on him to receive that pardon. Now why is this? Why is it vital that we should seek the Lord? Well, I want to suggest to you that there are three reasons given in verses 8 to 13, and we're going to examine them this morning. Firstly, verses 8 and 9, because of the separation between God and us. Look at verse 8 again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now just a moment's thought would lead us to see how obvious this is. The more you consider the heavens, the more you come to see the greatness of God. I was listening to a clip uh, by Stephen Meyer uh, this, uh, yesterday, and he was saying in this clip uh, that back in the 1920s, scientists wondered if the Milky Way was the only galaxy in the universe. And then the astronomer Hubble began to view the heavens with a more powerful uh, domed telescope at the Palomar Observatory, and they focused on these dots that they once presumed were stars, and with the, the abilities of these uh, telescopes, they discovered they weren't stars, they were galaxies. Two years ago, we would have said that there was an astounding, well, imagine this, if you said, well, there's 200 galaxies like the Milky Way, that would be mind-blowing. But two years ago, the numbers were that there were 200 billion galaxies. Milky Way galaxy and another 200 billion of them. Now, there was a paper that was uh, released uh, last month, published in the Astrophysics Journal, saying that actually that should now be increased by a factor of 10. They believe that there are 2 trillion galaxies each containing billions of stars. And what Hubble proved in his lifetime was that the universe was expanding as he looked at the redshift. And, and then all you have to do is think about reversing that back in time. And, and fascinating, it means that everything came from a certain point. It began and exploded out. Now, human brains are extraordinary. They're only about three pounds in weight. But think of the technological advances that we have made. How we've begun to explore this universe with uh, uh, sending telescopes into the heavens to observe with greater clarity. The, the astronomy that's taken place, the theoretical physics. Uh, and it's amazing what we've begun to see. But then consider this, the mind of God that, that made it all. 
two trillion galaxies. Consider the power of the Almighty God who created such a vast universe, who actually sort of, in a sense, his canvas is vast spaces of universe. And, and with a paintbrush, he sort of says, well, I'll do a spiral galaxy here, and I'll do a, a variety of different galaxies. And he does trillions of galaxies with billions of stars in each one. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yes, the human brain is extraordinary, but consider the mind of God to do such a thing. But actually, what is specifically being referred to here is not God's transcendence as creator, but his moral perfection, his holiness. The contrast between God and mankind is in our moral status. Look back at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways. The unrighteous, their thoughts. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. And what Isaiah is doing here is he, he is seeking to humble us. All our thinking and all our behavior, our ways are distorted by our sinful rebellion against God. They're biased by sin. They're damaged by sin. Of course, when we measure ourselves against each other, we can really feel pretty good about ourselves. Uh, yeah, there may be a few people higher up on that ladder, but uh, we know there are lots of people below us who've done far more worse things than us. But whether you're at the top of that ladder or at the bottom of that ladder, you're not much closer to the moon, let alone the sun. And from the measure of the holy character of God in his moral perfection, all of us are unrighteous in our thoughts and wicked in our ways. How could we ever conceive of living life and receiving all of God's good gifts and totally ignoring Him or even doubting His existence and for this to seen, be seen as respectable and rational? It shows how totally corrupted and irrational our thinking has become. To even make a joke of brazenly going to buy things and worship the stuff and ignore the Creator is madness. My friends, we need to seek the Lord. Because our thinking and our ways are so out of alignment with God. There is a vast gap, a vast separation. There would be a vast separation if we were sinless between our minds and God's mind, but let alone with our sinful natures that are so twisted and corrupted and, 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 and falsely desiring things that we shouldn't and falsely thinking. That separation is all the greater. And there's growing evidence that the ignorance of our society to the Bible is not bringing enlightenment, it is growing increasing darkness, confusion, pain, and brokenness. Rationality and reason are increasingly under threat now as we live in an era of post-truth politics. This is an extraordinary phrase. We're not sure 
whether facts matter anymore. It's emotion. It's how you feel about things. People don't know, there was a report this week, about what are true stories and what are false hoax stories. We, we're, we're losing all discrimination. Some countries are investing in media uh, so that they can put alternative stories. Goodness knows whether they're true or not. There's such confusion in the marketplace. Who knows what to believe? What is true? What is real? We don't know anymore. This is what's happening as we lose the Bible. But the greatest post-truth distortion in our knowledge of God is this. We are so desperately unaware of our sinfulness that separates us from a holy God. We are so desperately ignorant of the fact that we're in great peril as those under God's wrath. This never makes the 10 o'clock news. Never makes the newspapers. But it is the greatest post-truth delusion that is out there. We need God to shape our minds, to give us the mind of Christ. We need our thoughts to be shaped by His Spirit. We need nothing less than conversion. Christianity is not about uh, how to become nice. It's how we are made brand new. We need to seek the Lord to have a right understanding of the problem of our sinfulness. But we also need to seek the Lord to understand this amazing grace that brings salvation. The amazing thing is if we turn to him, we will find mercy and free pardon. That was a great New Testament passage that Adam read to us earlier, wasn't it? Peter thought he was pretty good. You know, how many times shall I forgive Jesus? Seven times? No, 70 times seven, says Jesus. Our brains struggle to comprehend such grace and mercy and pardon. Uh, we struggle to give somebody a second chance, let alone a seventh chance, let alone a 77 times 7 chance, but this is the great mercy and free pardon of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in the letter to the Romans, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. We had Remembrance Sunday. People do sacrifice their lives for the good of others. But it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now this is thinking way beyond what we could imagine. That God in his love and his grace and his pardon freely forgives those who totally don't deserve it. And, and, and when we were rebellious sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, we cannot conceive not only of the greatness and the majesty of this transcendent God, we can't conceive of His incredible love, His great mercy. And so we must seek the Lord. That's why we must do it. That's the first reason. The second reason is because, verses 10 and 11, God's Word spans this divide and sovereignly saves. There is this massive separation between earth and heaven, but there is something that spans this great divide. And he does this beautiful illustration from nature, the rain and the snow. Now, I'm loving the Planet Earth series. I don't know whether you're watching it 
It is absolutely stunning. And there was a, a, a great piece, if you can put it on, David, uh, last Sunday. And it's an amazing clip of the impact of rains on desert places. I don't know how they do this stuff, but they must keep the cat. The cameraman has to stay there an awful long time. But look at that. This desert, and the rain comes, and it turns into a, a garden. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What a stunning analogy that God has given to us. There is this great separation between a holy God and a sinful people. But that deadly gap is spanned by the Word of God. Its origin, it comes from God's mouth. From my mouth, he says, verse 11. As surely as the rain and snow watering the earth makes plants grow and flourish, and seeds are produced, and there's food, and there's life. So God's Word is able to take barren souls of sinful men and women and cause regeneration, bringing life. And we should seek the Lord and pursue the opportunity to hear His Word because that very Word is the agent that God uses to bring about spiritual life in us. Peter the apostle in his first letter says this, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Now there's a great difference between our words and God's words. Sharon and I went walking uh, on Monday with uh, our dog, and it was so amusing to watch this other dog walker calling, calling, calling for his dog, whistling, calling well this dog was having none of it this dog had smelt rabbits and was going nuts down the rabbit trails and it was it was it was it was laughable the patheticness i said you got a well-trained dog there anyone here yeah, yeah bronte she came to my heel no she, she no but but that, that that's a contrast of our words and god's words oh the mother knows this. she's she's made the meal and she calls her teenage kids come to the table come and eat while they're still finishing the video game. Oh, just, just a few more minutes. Just a few more minutes. That's how futile our words are. But God's words are full of sovereign power. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. If you've been with us on this trip through Isaiah, you'll know that God has declared many things through Isaiah to the people of Israel. God had announced in advance to them what would happen with the threat of the Assyrian superpower coming down. That they wouldn't take Jerusalem. And that it would be the Babylonian Empire that would actually come and take them into exile. And even before the exile happened, God announces to them that there will be this new superpower called Persia rising up. And it's king, and it is even named Cyrus. Cyrus who will actually one day send them as exiles back to the land. 
It was announced by the Lord, and it happened just as God said it would. And God promised to send a Messiah King, a suffering servant who would die in the place of sinners and who would rise from the dead in victory. And he declared it 700 years before the coming of Jesus, and Jesus came and it all took place. My friends, his words are full of sovereign power. Those that God purposed to harden will be hardened. Those that God purposes to be judged will be judged. Those that God purposes to be saved will be saved. And that is why we should seek the Lord. His word spans this divide and sovereignly saves. And if you, in God's incredible kindness, have found yourself into this building today where many just walked along because they've gone to worship other stuff, you should know that God has been very kind to you today. And you've heard his word again and his invitation, if you've not responded to, so, to it so far, to come, call upon him, seek the Lord's, turn from your sin, receive his mercy and free pardon. It's all been paid for you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you should respond to that today. Don't keep putting it off. Don't foolishly think that, that you can, you'll do it next year or you'll do it on your deathbed. Most of the deathbeds I've visited, they, the, the people are drugged up. If they've not responded before then, they're certainly not going to respond at that point. Now is the time to respond to God's gracious invitation. For only then will you be able to participate in God's everlasting sign. Thirdly, in verses 12 to 13, God's everlasting sign. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Now the language here is the language of return from exile into the promised land, but clearly this is, this is not the the exile's return that we read about in the Old Testament. Here is a land that is being referred to as something that is yet to come. And what has been described here in wonderful poetic language is the future hope of all those who respond to God's gospel words. To those who've forsaken their wicked ways and their unrighteous thoughts, to those who've turned to the Lord and, and sought Him, to those who've trusted in the salvation that God has provided through His servant Jesus, His Son. These are the ones who are going to experience going out in joy and peace into this transformed world. There's a coming day when we will go out into this transformed world, when Christ returns and leads us into the kingdom of God, a new heaven and a new earth. And wherever we head, this world will not only be, uh, not only will the hills be alive with the sound of music, the mountains are going to start singing. As we walk out into this world, the mountain, what will a mountain sound like when it's singing? It'll be pretty deep, I think. It'll be a good bass sound. Trees will start clapping their hands. Maybe even Baptists will start clapping their hands. Who knows? 
we're very, very respectable. We don't like doing that. But one day the trees will do it, and, and all of creation will be rejoicing as it sees a transformed, renewed people because it means that the whole planet is transformed. All that was uh, blighting the earth, all the curses of the fall, the thorn bushes, the briars, they'll be gone. They'll be replaced with, with, with uh, trees that are uh, evergreen, whose seeds are good and do wonderful things. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. I love that, Carol. Far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. Isn't that great? Fidel Castro says no monuments for him. Fair enough, pretty mixed record. But actually, God is going to have a monument. It's going to be an everlasting sign. It's going to be an everlasting sign to the universe of the Lord's character, His name. It will reveal His glory, and it's going to be a renewed people living in a transformed world. God is leading His saved people forward by His powerful word into an everlasting world of joy and peace. Can you imagine that day where all you experience all the time is joy? It almost sounds too exhausting, doesn't it? Can I really cope with constant joy? He's going to give you a body that can cope with that, which won't exhaust you, where you'll, you'll go out into this transformed world just experiencing joy and peace. Peace with God, peace with each other, peace within ourselves because the Prince of Peace, His punishment has brought us peace, has purchased this world to come that we will step out into. That is what is to come, my friends. And if you've not called out to Him to pardon your sin, do it Today, this is why you should seek the Lord. Because there's a day when all wickedness will be shut out. All the unrighteous will not belong. You will not be there unless you are forgiven and pardoned. Seek the Lord today. And my Christian friends, this is why we feast and celebrate, isn't it? We feast and celebrate because we look back in joyful thanksgiving that Christ has come the first time. And we look forward with joyful anticipation of the return of Christ and of the, of the new heavens and the new earth that He has brought for us. Christ is coming again and will transform this world. It will be, be the world that we're all longing for. And because we love our neighbors and our friends we want them to join us at the party, to join us at the feast. That's why we've got these cards, joy to the world. The Lord has come. We haven't got 1,000. We've got 5,000. Take handfuls of them. Put them by your doorway. Give them to your postman. Give them to anyone who comes to your house. Invite people at work. Joy to the world. This world sorely needs the good news of the gospel. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that in your amazing grace, you have revealed yourself to us in all your holiness and in all your gracious love and mercy. And we want to thank you for sending us your Son to be our Savior. And we know that this salvation was won at great cost, and so we thank you again. And Lord, we thank you for what you promise is our future. And so we ask that you keep us believing this amazing word, these amazing gospel promises that bring life, that have given us life, and will lead us all the way into this transformed and renewed glorious world to come. Father, we thank you for the joy that is ours now in Christ. Lord, we pray that everyone in this city would hear of this joyful good news and that thousands, hundreds of thousands would respond to it. In Christ's precious name, amen.